Good morning, my name is Dee, and it is, as always, a wonderful privilege to be with you this uh, Sunday morning. I look forward to our time together. I do want, um, before we jump into this passage of Scripture, um, share something that's heavy on my heart and uh, heavy to us as a congregation. Um, Two weeks ago today, um, a member of our congregation, Jody Maroney, after a long and painful struggle with several issues, passed away. Um, John and Jody uh, have attended both services at various times through the course of their time here as our part of our community of faith, and most often sit back on this far side, first or second row from the back. Um, Jody's journey, for those of you who don't know, um, she served both in the um, Marines and the Navy and the Border Patrol flying at least five different types of aircraft. The most common ones that she would fly were helicopters in serving so faithfully. But what I know Jody for is her um, incredible kindness and compassion, amazing generosity and a heart for others that she longed to do more if only some of the pain that she experienced would relent to do more of it. Um, She would do such things as uh, probably our most consistent volunteer for refugee tutoring for children over in City Heights. She could often be found... um, on weekends, but also other days up at uh, Tourmaline, helping wounded warriors surf and find some relief in their journey. Um, I was aware of the many times she would spend at Children's Hospital, sitting with children who were struggling with deep um, ailments and struggles. And she did it so quietly. My guess is many of you probably can't even put a face to Jody's name. But uh, there are a number of vacation Bible school basketball kids that know her well from the times that she volunteered and participated in our children's program in so many different ways. I say all of that to say that we are John's family and John needs our prayers. And so I encourage you to pray for John Maroney and this journey. Jody's family is all up in Wisconsin. John's family is all on the East Coast. I'll say it again. We're John's family. Whether you know him or not, lift him up in prayer. If you do know him, he'd welcome you reaching out to him in his journey as he um, figures out what life looks like next. So, with that in mind, I guess, it's not an easy transition, but always appropriate to move from those kinds of needs into God's Word and try and explore what God's Word might have for us in these moments, wherever our journey has taken us. So, this passage, Psalm 84 that you heard, thank you, Scott, for reading that. 
We heard the first, I believe, seven verses in this reading. We heard the 8 through 12 verses in our call to worship that uh, Ashley read for us. And so you've heard the entire psalm this morning. I want to give you a little background on this psalm. It is a psalm of pilgrimage, often a tribute to the Korahites, um, and they are the source, we believe, of numerous psalms. But this is a psalm that very specifically was written for the purpose of those who were traveling to Jerusalem, to the sacred temple set on the hilltop, the place that was not the only place that the chosen people believed God was, but believed that it was sacred space, place that was set aside for God's spirit to dwell and continues this day to be one of the most sacred sites in all of the world. As people would make a pilgrimage for a sacred holy day, for a special time of the year, for a gathering, or simply because they longed to visit the temple, there were songs that were typical of their travels. And so they would sing together. And this psalm is a psalm of pilgrimage as evidenced by verses 6, 7, 8, and what follows. It speaks about dwelling in God's house, but it speaks about the people who dwell there whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. You see, it's not just the destination that's sacred. It's the journey to the destination that is sacred as well. And this profound truth that the way in which we walk toward those sacred spaces holds a sacred nature to it just as much as the destination does. And so... They would speak of the pilgrimage that takes them through the Valley of Baca. We believe, based on the context, that the Valley of Baca was a desert area. And as the pilgrims would walk through the desert areas, they would produce springs of water in desert places. They would experience showers of God's blessing like the rains of autumn. They would move from strength to strength until at one point in time they finally appeared to God in Zion. It is the destination of Zion as well as the pilgrimage towards Zion that is honored in this beautiful psalm. I wonder, though I don't know, if just by chance, if we were to go to John chapter 12, if in between verses where it speaks of the journey of Jesus and the disciples into the triumphant entry into Jerusalem, this pilgrimage that they made, Jesus' final trip to Jerusalem, if on their way there weren't at least a few disciples who could carry a tune, I'm sure there are some who could not, but I'm guessing there were a few who would sing songs from their faith. I mean, I, I, 
I know that when you hear some of the songs that are sung by our praise band, or some where you're having to look at the words because you don't know the song very well, but there are others that you're singing the phrases even before the singers do because it is so familiar to your journey of faith. It is something that reminds you of sacred moments, of sacred places, of something that has to do with your spiritual journey and your upbringing. Now, I know that's not true for everyone, but if you can imagine the tradition of taking the sacred journey to Jerusalem, certainly many of the disciples, if not all of them, at some point in their journey had made that trip. From far north of Jerusalem, sometime in that transition, from boyhood to adulthood, tagging along with a father or someone else in the community who invited them to come along, to make that sacred journey. And when you make a sacred pilgrimage, something takes place. All of the work that it takes to live your daily life, all of the things that are required to survive, to pay for life's expenses, to take care of family relationships, when you go on a pilgrimage, it brings a halt to those things and reestablishes priorities. It acknowledges the lordship of something greater than whatever it is that has garnered my attention for the last six months, a year, five years. A pilgrimage says, I have to stop from all of those things that keep unfolding and seem like they are never ending and embark on that which awakens me once again to the sacredness of the journey that all of us are on. It reestablishes an agenda. It allows us to wrestle with what it is that drives us. This sacred pilgrimage, acknowledges the holiness of God's house, but also reminds us that in between those times where we are gathered together in sacred spaces, all of our life becomes a sacred journey of faith. The psalmist says, Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than to be the guest of honor in any other place that celebrates anything other than God. I love Eugene Peterson's paraphrase where he says, I'd rather spend one day in the beautiful worship places where God is than a thousand days on the best Greek beaches. He also says, I'd rather be scrubbing floors at church than to be the guest of honor in some place that just does not acknowledge God. So the question comes, what pilgrimage are we on? What's your destination? Where are you headed? And it's a fair question because our journey is taking us somewhere. So it seems fair to ask, where are you going? 
this psalm reminds us that there is value in remembering sacred moments. Things that have become, in many ways, like an altar to us. A place where it seems like we met God, God intervened in a special way. Something changed our vision of where we were headed. My guess is that for many of you, I could just ask, could you go in your memory bank for a moment to one of those spots? Where would it be? Do you remember a time, a place, indoors, outdoors? Do you remember the trees that were nearby if you were outside? Do you remember what the room looked like when it just felt like God stepped into the moment and you felt like where you were looking just shifted? And your path started going down a different direction. Like a fork in the road. And whether you thought about it or not, it's almost if you set up an altar in that spot and said, this place was where I made a choice. I was invited by God to walk this pathway. And I never want to forget the sacredness of that moment. That's in part what the psalmist is saying. Oh Lord, how beautiful is your dwelling place. Where you are. My soul, it, it yearns for you. Sometimes I feel like I'm going to faint because of how much I long to be in your courts. My heart, my flesh, it just, it cries out for you, the living one, the one who gives me life. I, I watch your creation. I see that even the sparrows make a nest near your altar. Even, even the swallows, they find a dwelling place where they can lay their eggs and they long to be close to where your presence is. Blessed are those who have found their dwelling in you, O Lord. Those who find their strength in you, they have set their hearts on the pilgrimage. And as they go through that valley, Oh, Lord, they turn Baca into springs and the fall autumn showers fill those places. They move from strength to strength as they move toward your presence into the most sacred of places. This period of time, for those of you who have been around, you know we're on a series that speaks about different ways in which the Christian ancient traditions speak into our journey of faith. We have spent some time talking about the ways in which certain traditions speaks to our one-on-one -on -one relationship with God. We started off the series talking about the contemplative tradition. And I know these boxes aren't perfectly defined. There are far more overlaps than I'm talking about in these few weeks. But that contemplative tradition leads us into times of reflection and quiet and silence and prayer, spiritual disciplines that lead us deeper into this walk with our Creator. Last week, Jim Bond spoke about the holiness tradition, 
the ways in which God's Spirit helps us to be as God stamped God's image on us and as God created us to be. So that our heart and our head are united. That the way we live out our faith might reflect the sacredness of God's Spirit dwelling in us. This week, we're talking about the charismatic way, which has a beautiful, powerful emphasis on the work of the Holy Spirit in us, among us. To pay attention to how God works, it is, for those who are followers of Christ, true that if we see what followers of Christ do and teased out or picked away those things that were done by just human talents, we would find that there is something left over that can't be attributed to human talents that can only be attributed to God. If we are not doing anything that can't simply be attributed to human talents, I would ask the question, have we trusted God for what God is promising to us? Because if we do trust ourselves to God, then we will inevitably be, inevitably be called into places that stretch us beyond our own ability, beyond our own resources, beyond our own personal human strength. But the beauty is that what God calls us to do, God fills and empowers us to accomplish. It is this wonderful promise. One of the things that the charismatic tradition does is it provides this beautiful caution to the ways in which we domesticate God. We make God very manageable. Fits neatly into boxes' definitions of what God does. And as soon as we have done that, we have horribly limited God. And in fact, we are no longer describing the eternal creator. We have instead created this idol of a God that we can manage. Fitting into constructs that we've created. The Holy Spirit breaks open those boxes over and over again and defies our continual return to try and domesticate God. But instead, God's Spirit, if we are willing, will stretch us. And we will be drawn into places where we go, what? Oh God, you are at work in ways that I could never have thought or imagined. Because if it's well within my thoughts and my imagination, then I have sold you short, O oh Lord. But your spirit continually draws me into that which is beyond what I would have thought of before. Oh God, please, keep stretching me. Keep stretching us. Holiness is the spirit's empowerment to be the charisma of the Christian journey is the Holy Spirit's empowerment to do. And there is no Christian walk without 
the charisma of the Holy Spirit. That comes with receiving God as the Lord of your life. It is the blessing of that salvation that is Spirit-empowered. One of the other beautiful things that the charismatic way teaches us is the power and beauty of the church coming together, the body of believers. It is an acknowledgement of the giftedness that is unique to all of us and is for all of us. Probably the clarion song of this giftedness in terms of passages, and there are many, but chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, chapter 13 speaks of the culmination of that letter, the expression of all that we do filled and um, seen through the eyes of love. Chapter 12, though, talks about the very unique ways each of us begins to put into practice our efforts to show that love. And the ways in which we come together in our unique ways, blessed by God to help one another. So we are on this journey of faith, not as a solo act, but as a corporate act. The Christian life was not intended to be lived alone. It was intended to be lived together. And the invitation is to lift one another up, to pray for one another, to encourage one another, to hear each other's stories. And in those stories, to mourn, to grieve, to celebrate, to expect, to hope, to encourage affirm. These are things that we're called to do together, collectively. And so into this place we find such things as this psalmist who calls us to places of worship. Calls us to allow a song to stand us up, to turn us around, and to shout the praises of the Lord calls us to be expressive as we embody the gospel, not just talk about the gospel. That we allow God's Spirit to move us into action, not just lead us into thinking good, sacred thoughts. Allowing us to orchestrate a dance of faith that moves us into places we thought were impossible, giving us courage to consider things that push us out of our comfort zone, that help us to be individually and collectively more than we could ever be on our own. It is a call for the Holy Spirit to work in our lives. Now, I would propose that it is not that God holds back the Spirit that keeps us from moving in these directions. I believe, based on what I read in Scripture, that when we ask Jesus to be Lord of our life, that we are given all of God's Spirit. We have access to all of who God is. But there are things that hinder us from accessing that Spirit or living fully into God's call on our life. And let me just offer a couple of things that I think hinder that. 
First is, much like what Jim Bond talked about last week, that there are things in our life that compete with God for our allegiance, for our worship, for our commitment of who we are and our resources. If you remember from last week, Jim Bond spoke about what it was for him. He referred to it as the basketball. God wanted the basketball, and I had a tough time giving God the basketball. I don't know what it might be for you, but there is something for all of us that competes with God for being Lord in our life. Here's, however, what I also believe happens. When we've surrendered something to God, if we don't, with diligence, keep God at the forefront of our journey, there becomes a vacuum for what commands our attention, our allegiance, our worship, our devotion. And if one thing gets moved out, that vacuum will call for something else. Maybe boldly from you, but more often in very subtle ways, other things begin to acquire your attention, your heart, your passion, and it becomes the very thing that you find difficult to let go of, very difficult to surrender, much like was talked about last week. It's not that God wants everything to be removed from your life. All of those things can have a place if God is Lord of your life. And so this process of trying to figure out what it is that calls for our allegiance, that that we've surrendered much of who we are, that keeps God's Spirit from working as fully as God's Spirit might otherwise work in your life. I, I would say as well that the ways in which we understand God's infilling of the Spirit can sometimes hinder our journey. And here's what I mean. Very often, particularly in our faith tradition, we talk about about the infilling of the Holy Spirit being something that happens subsequent to salvation. Let me tell you why that tends to be the way we talk about these things. When I ask God for forgiveness and invite Christ to be the Lord of my life, It comes as a free gift. I haven't earned it. It's God's grace toward you, toward me. It's undeserved forgiveness. But when that happens, typically out of deep, profound gratitude, I find myself then trying to live my life in a way that exerts my own discipline and restrictions to earn God's love. I know it came free, I know I didn't deserve it, but I'm so grateful that it came that I want to prove to God that I kind of do deserve it now. And so I work really hard to try and discipline my life in ways that God will be pleased and I will have earned what was a free gift. In so doing, I am living a life that is dependent upon my discipline, my own boundaries and restrictions, my own efforts to please God. Discipline's not wrong. Boundaries aren't inappropriate. 
But if I think somehow I can earn God's grace, then I have immediately, by definition, limited God's spirit work in my life. And very often it comes after having fallen 70 times 7 and asked God again, I am so sorry. Not the way I thought it was going to be, God. Please forgive me again. That over time, God will reveal to us, O.D., and anyone else who wants to put your name in that blank, it was never about your discipline. It was never about you getting it right. It was always about my grace. And it still is. And I regret that you've spent so much time not enjoying the freedom of life that I long for you to have because it's about my grace, not your effort. It's about my spirit, not your ability. It's about my infilling, not your discipline. It's about what I long to accomplish through you, not you trying to accomplish to please me because I already love you. And in that space, we can shift from a very limited expression of God's Spirit through me to an open vessel that just flows because it's not hindered by me trying to earn something. It's open to God's work through me, and through you, and through us. So this morning, I have an invitation for you. It is an invitation to live into one of the other attributes that seems to arise out of the charismatic way. It is a belief not only that we are all gifted, not only a powerful belief in the work of the Holy Spirit, but it is a commitment to the priesthood of all believers. That you have been called by God to be part of the priesthood. Prayer is not reserved for your pastoral staff to pray a prayer of blessing over you. That when you have a need, that it's only some pastor who can come and offer a prayer, though it is an incredible privilege to do that. And I will never turn down that opportunity. But it is a belief that all of us are called to pray for one another, to visit one another, to encourage one another, to speak truth or blessing over one another. That is our call as part of the priesthood of believers. So in a few moments, I'm going to make an invitation in several different ways. I have no doubt that this morning there are some who are struggling 
with physical ailments, emotional, spiritual struggles, and this morning you could use prayer. Thank you for being here and using these moments as a safe place to reflect on your own journey. I would like for us to pray for you this morning. There are some here this morning who long to be freshly filled with God's Spirit. A filling that up to this point in time has felt like it's just only gone to a certain place. And this morning you would say, Oh Lord, whatever it is that I have done that hinders your Spirit to have free reign in my life, the ways in which I have domesticated you, Lord, would you please fill me fresh be my Lord, do whatever it takes to bring me to that place. That may be where you are this morning. I'm going to as well acknowledge those who don't even have the strength to pray for whatever reason. It doesn't feel like it's so much a healing don't even know if it's in the filling of the Spirit. It's just I have no strength. The next step, just whatever it is, feels almost too much. I want to pray for you. In a moment, I'm going to invite those who might fit into that category or any other category. Our altars are always open. But if making a pilgrimage to an altar is part of what it means to you to visit a sacred space this morning. It may not have been in your life's journey this particular altar, but there's been a place in another church or at another time, and simply making that movement would rekindle inside of you what it means to dwell in the house of the Lord, to be blessed in God's presence. I invite you to do that. If for you this morning, it's just some type of physical movement like standing up. I just want to stand where I'm at to acknowledge, oh God, I need you. I need prayer. I need your touch. After that, I'm not going to ask you to do anything else because I'm going to ask everyone else to be part of the priesthood of believers and just pray. Your prayer. On behalf of those who stand or move forward.